Welcome to the Trad Dads Podcast, where we examine cultural and political issues through the lens of traditional thought. All right, so today I have a special treat. I have, uh, uh, I'm interviewing uh, John DeRosa. Uh, John DeRosa is a high school math teacher in New Jersey. He holds a bachelor's degree in math education from the College of New Jersey and a master's degree in mathematics from Montclair State University. Uh, through involvement in an on-campus apologetics group during his undergraduate years, he found resources for navigating many issues. His interest in apologetics never left, and he created classicaltheism.com, which I'll link to in the show notes, uh, to equip others to defend Catholic Christian ideas and conversation. And I got to say, I love the podcast, John. I am always excited when I'm on a long drive and there's a new episode. And I'm just like, yes, and I'm so pumped. And, and sometimes it goes over my head um, just because there's certain topics that I just, I'm not very well versed on and I should be better versed on. But, um, but man, I, I just really enjoy your show. I think you do a great job as a host. So recommend everyone uh, uh, subscribe uh, as soon as possible after you hear this episode. Um, well, thank you, Levi. Let me just say thank you so much. I appreciate you listening and I enjoy your show as well. Um, and I'll be honest, even as the host, some of the guests I have on, some of the things they say can go over my head too. So the goal <laughs> is to, to learn alongside with the listeners. And uh, we have a lot of fun over at Classical Theism. I'm excited to uh, be on the Trad Dads podcast here today. Awesome. Well, so um, John, I think the we talked a little bit about what we were going to um, discuss today and uh, something that really caught my eye was your expertise on the subject of the problem of evil and suffering. And so um, I, I know this has a specific apologetics uh, context and, and I want to talk about that, but just to introduce it and see how it's relevant to, to our material for the, for the listener. Um, you know, we, we've talked in the past about suffering and, about um, you know giving things up and how that's important as um, you know as a Catholic, uh, as a father, as a husband, as just someone who lives in a very secular, comfort-based society. Um, you know we're not going to build character and we're not going to build a future generation of wonderful people um, without uh, some understanding of suffering and and dealing with um, you know giving things up. And I, and I, as a convert, I love the, the, the sort of deep philosophical understanding that Catholicism gives us to the suffering that we have to deal with. Um, and so from an apologetic standpoint, John, what, what, what's kind of the overview of this, this problem of evil and suffering? Sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just kind of situate it for us, but I want to echo what you're saying that more so than probably any generation you know, at this time, we are avoiding, we're afraid of suffering. We want to avoid every ounce of, of pain and discomfort and things like that. And when people are so after comfort, this problem of evil and suffering could almost be more amplified in people's minds. But the general idea is this, that if we believe in God and we say that God is good, that he's powerful and that he's all knowing, well, wouldn't he be able to stop the evil if he wanted to? And if he's good, shouldn't he do that? Like, why do we experience all this evil and suffering in the world if we believe in a good God? And I do. I'm a Catholic Christian. You said you're a Catholic convert. So that's kind of the tension here with the problem of evil. But it has many layers to it. There's been 2,000 years of church tradition where we've been tackling this problem in different facets. But just to situate it, what I recommend and what I try to do in conversation with someone, they want to talk about evil and suffering. First, distinguish the intellectual problem from the pastoral or sometimes called the emotional problem. You kind of got to ask somebody. You don't just want to start giving 
like glib or cold answers when this person might have gone through a terrible tragedy. So the first uh, recommendation I have, if you're going into a conversation on the problem of evil and suffering, just ask the person, hey, are you coming at this as an intellectual puzzle? Like you're honestly curious, how can a good God exist if there's also evil? Or are you coming at this, you know, you just had some terrible tragedy in your life or you're, um, you're asking for a friend who's going through something terrible and you're really coming at this as a pastoral and emotional problem. Because the way I'm going to answer those people may be different. Now, it doesn't mean that the intellectual answers and the philosophical answers are bad just because that wouldn't be the first thing you say to a person who's going through something. I think if you talk to someone who's going through something, we talk about this, you know, um, I, I hope to be a father one day. I know you're a father of, of several children. Our kids are going to go through stuff. Yeah. And, you know, we want to be able to, to pray with them, to, to love them in that suffering, and to introduce them to, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I think his love is the ultimate answer to the pastoral and emotional problem. But if someone's talking about the intellectual problem, then we want to be able to give good answers as well. We don't just want to say, as a lot of Catholics might, they might just say, oh, well, it's just a mystery. I have no idea. Because if someone has, you know, the teenagers, they ask good questions. I'm a high school teacher. I volunteer um, confirmation retreats. You know, I've, I've been a volunteer at a confirmation retreat. These are ninth graders. They have good questions, though. And if they have some, like, really good, solid questions, you don't just want to dismiss it with, um, oh, you know, it's just a mystery. We have no idea. So that's the first thing I would say. Situate it. Is it an intellectual problem? And then is it a pastoral or emotional problem? And then you can go at it from there. Um, but, yeah, where do you want me to take this here, Levi? Yeah, so, well, you know, I, th- I think maybe we can just start with uh, that more intellectual side and maybe sure. – help people kind of understand. Cause I, I, for, for me personally, I think if, if people understand why, um, you know, why there can be a good God in the midst of evil and suffering, then I think that helps us understand how we can, um, you know, when we're going through something, I, I think there's a connection to be made there and we have to understand the intellectual stuff first. If there is something going wrong in our life and we're having a difficult time, you know, how do we, um, if we have that intellectual thing to fall back on, I just feel like it's so much, it's so much easier for us to make those sacrifices. Uh, it's a great point. No, cause it's, it's very easy to, you know, just get caught up in the emotions of the moment. But if you have that bedrock, if you've studied these issues before, if you know these, you know, that there are good answers, even if you're not seeing them in the moment, that could definitely help. So, okay, let's tackle it as an intellectual problem. First, there's commonly two um, problems of evil. In the literature right now, you'll you'll hear this if you listen to a lot of uh, Catholic or Christian debates and things of that sort. People distinguish inside the intellectual problem. They'll say, hey, are you making a logical problem of evil or are you giving it as an evidential problem? Are you giving evidence? And the distinction is this. Some people literally think it's logically impossible for there be there to be a good, powerful, and all-knowing God if evil exists. They're saying it's a literal impossibility. Like those two things can't possibly exist. And we got to distinguish that. And we'll, we'll, we'll dispel that first. I'll give some answers to that in a second. Distinguish that from the evidential problem. And that's kind of someone who's presenting it as evidence. They're saying, Hey, you know what? I agree with you. It's not logically impossible that God's God exists, but I I see it as evidence. You know, I look out. Never thought of it that way that those are actually two separate things. Yeah. There, well, and there are two ways of going about it. And I think most people will see that the logical problem can be defeated. So here's one way that you can go about this. And there, again, there's so many philosophers who write on this, but I found this helpful. Um, if we believe in a God who gives the gift of free, 
free choice to creatures. He gives them um, free choice to exercise a wide variety of actions, some good and some bad. Most people will acknowledge that this gift of freedom of choice is a good thing. And if he gives this gift and allows creatures to choose not only good things, but bad things, well, then as a result, we're going to see evil in the world. Now, this is not necessarily the, to, to endorse all that's been said in the name of what's called the free will defense. Some of your listeners will know that terminology. C.S. Lewis has talked about this. Alvin Plantinga famously wrote a whole book on the free will defense. I'm not necessarily endorsing every jot and tittle of that. I'm just saying, think, as a common intuition, if God makes people in his image that can choose good and choose bad, you know, that gift of freedom is important and it's a good thing. And if he gives that gift, well, then we have to be able to understand that people can choose badly and they can choose poorly. I'll add one thing to that. So that's one thing to answer the intellectual problem of how it's not logically impossible because, you know, possibly God wanted to create these creatures with this freedom of choice for good and for bad. And therefore it allows them to choose bad and that could introduce evil into the world. Additionally, and we were talking about this shortly before, there's certain goods that would not exist if God didn't create a world with some evil. Here's what I mean. If there were literally never any evil introduced into the world, there's a certain set of goods, and I'll just list a few examples in a moment, that couldn't possibly exist. Things like this. Genuine courage, compassion, and forgiveness in the face of grim evil if we believe those things are good, you know, you were talking about character building through suffering, courage, compassion, and forgiveness in the face of evil. Well, if there's no face of evil, if God created a world where there was never any evil possible, those goods could not be actualized. And so what I would say to the intellectual and the logical problem is one, we have the freedom of choice of good and bad, which is a good thing that God created. And two, it's God's prerogative if he wants to create a world with all the vast types of goods, including courage, compassion, and forgiveness, well, then necessarily it's going to involve some evil. So I think that defeats the logical problem. It doesn't defeat every kind of evil, but that's where I would start. Right. So, so then if that, that helps us, I think, understand sort of the foundation of the thing. But then I think we, we get into sort of the – so what, once we understand that intellectually – then we move on to, okay, when something bad happens to us, um, you know, I, when, when I was first converting, I would always hear the phrase, you know, offer it up, yes. uh, you know, and, and, and I still don't really fully understand that very well. I mean, I understand the, the need for sacrifice and, you know, doing things that you, that you, um, uh, that, that you need to do, right. And prioritizing and, and all of that sort of thing. Um, but how do we, how do we, uh, how do we sort of understand our, um, you know, our sacrifice in this whole thing of, of suffering and, and evil and all of that? Yeah. So that, I mean, that's a big question. That's a great question. And honestly, I've been Catholic since I've been younger and I still don't think I fully understand all the answers to that question, but I'll, I'll give you some important points. And then I, I do actually, and I, I just realized I left out a couple people might be thinking of a couple instances of evil that um, don't fall under what I just covered before. So I'll, I'll tack that back on to our intellectual defense. But pastorally, the way I've heard it put is this, and it's been very helpful. I would say, you know, the really only true answer to, to evil and suffering that you personally experience is the love of Jesus Christ. When we look to Christ, our Lord and Savior, we have someone who literally endured the worst imaginable horrific sufferings for us. Okay, he did that 
for us. And it's terrible. And you got to meditate on this. You got to look at the cross. You got to look how bad it is. You got to read accounts of how gruesome this was and then understand that he did it for us because he loves us. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's one aspect to help you out with. Now, what you're talking about is Christ goes even further in the Catholic tradition, because although Christ endured all of that suffering that, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say, was most fitting, it wasn't necessary that he go to the cross. All right, It wasn't logically necessary, at least in that sense. He didn't have to do it. This wasn't the only way he could have done things. But Aquinas points out that you know this is a fitting way. This is the most fitting way that he can show his love for us. But then we look at St. Paul. Okay, We look at St. Paul in Colossians, um, famous verse, and he says that um, in our body, we can make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Right? This is where the Catholic tradition can be so beautiful. Because wait, wait a minute. I just talked about how Christ endured all those horrendous and absolutely miserable sufferings, but yet St. Paul has the gall to say that there's something lacking in the sufferings of Christ, lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I heard actually a, a Calvinist preacher one time say that this is almost total heresy, like what St. Paul is saying. Obviously, it's not because it's sacred scripture. Yeah. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. But here's where we can get at from the Catholic tradition what St. Paul means is that we're going through something going through something and going through suffering. And I had to ask our priest about this in college because I didn't get it at first. We can literally embrace what we're going through. It's called carrying our cross and in our minds, okay, and in our hearts with the intention to unite our suffering to what Jesus did. We want to say, Lord, you suffered, okay, not that so I won't suffer ever, but you suffered so that I too can be a follower of you and can also suffer. And that we, in that prayerful moment of suffering, we're going through something, can actually offer it up. And what that means is that we can try to apply that spiritual suffering that we have as a prayer for someone else or something else in particular, if we have a particular person in mind, if we have a general intention for more souls that they'll be saved. And we can do this all because Christ did it first, and he led the way. So those two aspects, I think, and I'm, I could talk more about the intellectual problem all day because it's my bread and butter. It's what I like. But those two aspects of the Catholic view, one, that Christ did it all for us, out of love for us, and two, that he led the march so that we can follow in his footsteps and make up for what is lacking. What's lacking, the proper interpretation, is our participation in what Christ has done for us. And we can participate in that. We can suffer along with him and use that suffering as a prayer to help someone else and build up the kingdom. And see, I think that's, that's so interesting because I, 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 I so often hear sort of the, the, the denial of that concept that from, I think from a lot of Protestants really, honestly, because, you know, it's this idea that it's like, well, you know, well, we, uh, you know, uh, it's very, it's a very Luther kind of thing, right? That, that, well, you don't really have free will, right? You're, you're just doing, um, you know, you're, everything you do is just crap, you know, like literally, <laughs> And, and, you know, the only good thing comes from God. And it's like, well, yeah, but you come from God. So, you know, th that is a good thing. <laughs> You're also a good thing and you can, you have free will. <laughs> uh, so I, 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 I like that bit. And I think that makes total sense. And I think it leads into other things too. It leads into, um, you know, penance and um, indulgences and all those sorts of things too, that help us kind of understand. Um, is that, is that kind of what you're talking about? Like with the offer it up and, and the participation? I mean, are those components of that? Yeah, well, you know, in, in Catholic theology, yeah, participation is part of all of those things that you mentioned. And, okay. But I will say you don't have to use or get, obtain an indulgence 
to offer something up. Okay? Right. You can, yeah, yeah, of course. You know, in your mind, as a prayer, as part of your prayer for living, and it's hard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I stink at this. I fail all the time because when, when I'm going through something, or even like, you know, on the road, someone cuts you off, someone's a jerk to you, your instinct is, you know, to kind of re- react like emotionally. But mm-hmm. no, you can, you can take the littlest suffering or the biggest suffering that you have. Say you have a terrible diagnosis and you can offer that up in a prayerful way. But, you know, the Catholic tradition is rich in, in participation. Um, yeah, you, I, I'll, I'll recommend some awesome Thomistic theologians you can have on who can just talk to you for hours about that. <laughs> I wanted to throw an objection yeah. out. Yeah, good idea. Kind of talk about because going back to the intellectual problem, if that's okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Because what some people might have heard me say before is that, and you'll like this because I think there's a misunderstanding of freedom and human freedom here. People actually have heard some of these intellectual arguments and they have an objection. They're saying, hey, wait a minute. You're saying, okay, God gave free choices. Uh, He gave us the ability to choose good or choose bad, you know, but he didn't have to do that. And the people are right because wait a minute, let's look at, let's look at heaven. Let's look at the saints in heaven for a second. A lot of people would say, oh, wait a minute. Yes, the saints in heaven, are they free as Catholics? You know, we would answer, they're still fully human, okay? When they, at the general resurrection, when they receive their bodies, they will be fully human in heaven. They'll be glorified in certain ways, but will they still be free to do evil? You know, the saints in heaven can't choose free or evil. So therefore, you know, God didn't have to create us with the ability to choose bad and evil. And I wanted to give you, and I'm going to, I'll talk, I'll answer this objection for you, but I wanted to say, isn't that interesting that that objection kind of presupposes something you guys talk about on your show, which is a lesser conception of freedom. I don't know if it comes from John Stuart Mill or others oh, yes. that mm-hmm. is it truly by that you're only free if you can choose bad things and good things. What would you say to that part about freedom? Yeah. I mean, I- I, I certainly think that is the most popular conception of that word. And it's, and it's so difficult because I think, you know, people, a lot of people these days have this aversion to authority in religion. And because they don't break out of that pattern, right. They don't, they don't break out of that disdain for authority in religion. They don't see how, um, you know, that, that, they don't understand. I mean, this, I, I really think this is why it's so important that people understand the apologetic stuff, because if they understand as, you know, God being not just some dude with a beard, right. God is sort of is all good. Right. And is all, uh, he, he, he is all good things. And so, you know, the freedom is that the freedom part is that you have a choice, not that you are permitted to choose whatever you want. Um, and so we have, you know, within certain limits, there's different types of things, you know, uh, subsidiarity bring, being part of it. You know, there's, there's either some kind of temporal authority like a government or there's your family or your community that has a role in guiding you to make the proper choice. And that is freedom. I think, that, I think that's really important to understand because people just think freedom is freedom from coercion um, by authority and that they could just do whatever they want. Like right. It's, it's a negative conception of freedom. It philosophically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've heard you guys talk about that. I've heard Bishop <laughs> Barron talk about this, that really true right. freedom of the saints is freedom to choose the good. It's the virtuous freedom to have those habits of mind to choose the good. So what we want to say is yes, the saints in heaven are free and they are free in the ultimate sense because they get to glory in the goodness of God 
and choose God for all eternity. If we wanted to go a little further to mystic theology or philosophy, we would say, since you, like, why is, how does that make sense? Are you really sure that they're never going to choose evil? Isn't it possible? Well, not really, because here's how it works. In, um, when we make choices, as St. Thomas talks about, we choose them under the guise of the good. And what that means is no one chooses evil. No one chooses evil like for evil's sake. Even right, right. if you try to picture it, you can always um, analyze the scenario so that you understand maybe this person is seeking pleasure out of the evil. Maybe this person um, is seeking to satisfy some need, but they're not seeking the evil for the sake of the evil. Okay, even the sadistic person who does it, they do it because they get pleasure out of the evil. So in Thomas's understanding, the saints in heaven, so we always choose things under the guise of the good. And when we fail, we choose lesser good things than we should have chosen. Okay. We choose them maybe, okay. We choose to overeat. Okay. Or we choose to lie because we want the good of not getting in trouble and hurting our reputation. And that's why we choose to lie. We choose things under the guise of the good, but in heaven, the way it works is that we're beholding God's goodness. We're beholding the beatific vision. And so that all other, you know, lesser goods are, they're just not rational for us to make that choice. In the presence of God, we can only choose good. So, but we still got to take this back to the intellectual problem because it is a fair objection. And J.L. Mackey, an Australian atheist, very famous, and others have made it that, well, hey, wait a minute. Why didn't God just create heaven right away? Because he could create a world of free creatures that only choose good. And one of the answers I've already given, and then I'll go into another point, is that, yes, we must admit, you know what, this is a logical possibility, but God is not obligated to do that because if he did that, if you're saying he has to do that, that means you're saying he's not allowed to ever create a world with genuine compassion genuine right. courage and genuine forgiveness. Right. And it goes back to those other goods you were talking about before. Exactly. So it, it, it sounds like a weak claim that the atheist is making. They're saying, oh, he could have just made heaven. If you say that he's forced to do that, that means you're saying he's not allowed to create a world with those other goods. And in the Christian tradition, we have never held that you know God is obligated to create a world with certain goods, but not others. He can actualize as many goods as he likes. One other category I'll talk about, and I know, I'm sorry, you could shut me up, just interrupt. Well, I just, I want to, I want to interrupt one quick thing before you get to that other point. Yeah, go ahead. Um, is, I was, I was watching um, a discussion by, I believe, um, who's the Rome Sweet Home guy? What's his name? Oh, Scott, Scott Hahn. Yeah. I was watching uh, a talk by Scott Hahn and he, he was talking about sort of the precursors to the Protestant Reformation. And one of them he talked about was William of Ockham and how Ockham, he sort of, I don't know how to say it really, but he, he sort of introduced this kind of um, relativism or doubt into things because he talked about how like, well, you know, God could have done this. Therefore, uh, you know, so God could have, you know, taken away our sins, you know, by not, by, by some other means other than sending Christ or, you know, just something like that. Right. So then what he says is his conclusion from that is like, so therefore it doesn't matter how it was done. Right. So I think about the same thing. Right. So like we, we could have a world where there is no opportunity for courage or all these sorts of things. So those things don't really matter. You know, like those things aren't really important for us to cultivate. And, and anyway, Scott Hans thing was like, you know, that that's that was sort of the precursor to this sort of, uh, you know, the, the, what gave us the, the Protestant Reformation. And I was like, man, that is 
that just applies to so many different things. And I was thinking of that when you were, when you were talking there just a minute ago. That's an interesting point. Um, and to add to that, honestly, I haven't done any deep study of, of Occam and Descartes, but I've heard people make, make those similar uh, observations. I think the main idea, like from Occam, he always gets pinned with like voluntarism. That's like right. the fancy name for like, well, God could have just said murder was good. Or he could have just said theft was good, but it was like arbitrarily deciding which one of that. And then right. like, you know, there's like, then Descartes gets pinned with um, some other errors in epistemology and things of that sort. But I, I, to go back to what you just said, I think it was important. It's a, a point I make in a, in a PDF that I'll, I'll share at the end. All the listeners can get this for free. Great. Is that if the person wants to take the tactic of arguing that, well, hey, well, forget about it. I don't care about courage. I don't care about compassion. I don't care about forgiveness, mercy, character. Really. I, don't, I don't care about those. Well, then their, ob their objection is not to the problem of evil. Then their objection is to the fact that those things are actually good things and that human beings with that full nature are real goods. So they're actually, and I make this point in, in, a, in a PDF I make, they might object to that premise, but then they're no longer making the problem of evil. Then they're making a, a different objection to the, the idea that you know, courage, compassion, and forgiveness and mercy are good. And on a Christian worldview, those are beautiful things. They're very good things. They help make us fully who we are in imitating Christ. Right. So they kind of paint themselves into a corner they probably don't want to really be stuck in. Well, it, it, it's not that necessarily. It's just okay. then they should make that objection. My point okay, is, I see. If, you're, okay. if your objection, and I'll, I can make this, I'll illustrate this in a moment with another point. But if your objection is to other Christian premises, then the ah. fact that God's good and God's evil, well, then you should write out your objection in that way. You can't just say, oh, I'm first launching a problem of evil. Well, then I give this defense with these certain goods. Oh, well, then I'm changing my objection to the fact that those aren't real goods. Okay. Because on a Christian view, those are real goods. And I can make the point like this because I bet your listeners are thinking of this. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, John. You haven't talked about natural evils like disease and natural disasters mm -hmm. right. and other natural evils. These aren't caused by free will, the, you know, other things of that sort. So what can we say to that? And I'll just make another point on that and then feel free. Um, I know with time constraints, we could do whatever we got to do and you just interrupt me whenever because sometimes sure. I just can't shut up about this stuff with the philosophy because I think it's so interesting. <laughs> but what I would say on a Christian view, again, the problem of evil is just not launched in a vacuum. It's launched against us because we say that God is good. We say that he's all-knowing. We say that he's all-powerful. And yet we also say that evil and suffering exist. So what are we going to say about things like natural evils, um, disease, disasters, and so forth. Well, what I would make the main point I want to make is this: on the Christian view, God did not create us, okay, in a fallen world. When He created the first human beings in the garden, and whether you think that came about through evolution or not, that's fine. When uh, you know the bodies evolved, if you want to take that route, and then God infused rationality into the first humans, our parents, Adam and Eve, they were given a choice. They were created perfectly. Okay, in harmony with God, their bodies were constituted magnificently. They would have lived forever. That's what we believe. They were given supernatural and preternatural gifts, and they chose against God. They were tempted um, by the evil one in the garden, and they made a bad choice to separate themselves from God in the garden. They made that radical choice. We call that the fall of Adam and Eve, and therefore all these natural evils, disasters, disease are part of the cosmic chaos that was ushered in by our first parents making that decision. Now, people will typically say two things to this. Again, they might want to say, well, John, I don't believe any of that stuff about Adam and Eve, right? <laughs> 
You would think they would say that, right? I don't believe any of that. Well, I get, this is my point. Well, then your objection is with other Christian premises. Your, your objection is not to the problem of evil. I just gave you an explanation. You're just saying you don't believe in Adam and Eve. And again, when I say Adam and Eve, it doesn't have to be six-day creation in the garden. In the Catholic tradition, we've allowed for a wide range of interpretations of Genesis. We go back to St. Augustine. He didn't read every verse there, literally. But there is a historical core that you know Catholics are not permitted to deviate from the historical core that there were our first parents who did choose against God and did sin. So we believe that. And if your objection is that, well, I don't think that happened. Well, okay, but you're making a different objection than right. the problem of evil and suffering. And the other thing they might say is, well, that was too harsh of a penalty for God to usher in, you know, all these terrible things. He's being too harsh, too harsh. Well, I don't think so, because what he's doing is illustrating the horrible, horrible result of separating yourself from God. And C.S. Lewis makes the point that evil and suffering is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And we could talk about this more point. Dr. Eleanor Stump makes a good point, but I just want to say that he, I know it might seem terrible. That's how terrible things are. Right. When you're away yeah. from God, if you've talked to anybody who's stuck in sin, people who have come out of it, they will say, you know, it was miserable. Okay, it was inflicted on ourselves. And so this cosmic chaos that's ushered in with all the disease, all the cancers, all the natural disasters, that's just, you know, God showing us this is how bad things can get when we're separate from him. Right. Yeah. And so it, it sort of provides an illustration of, you know, why you should shape up kind of thing. <laughs> yes. And let me, um, I'll make another point here, Levi. Feel free. If you want to take this in a different direction, that's no, fine. No, but that's fine. Yeah. No, I know um, on the Trad Dad podcast, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm not a dad yet. I'm actively hoping for that in the future. I know you have several kids. Dr. Eleanor Stump makes a great point about how suffering can coexist with, 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 um, with goodness. And here's what she says. I think it's a powerful illustration. She says, suppose, you know, you have a child who's suffering from a terribly high fever. And she actually tells this story autobiographically about one of her own children. And, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to take the child home. You need to make an ice bath of ice water and you need to put the child in the ice bath for 10 minutes. Then you need to take them out. They need to put them in again, put them in again until that fever comes down. Now, let's just say, let's assume for the sake that this is the correct scientifically best yeah. thing to do. Right? <laughs> this is the healthy thing to do. And say you have the mom and the dad, they go home and the child, once she like starts to dip the feet into the ice, child is just screaming as well. Like they don't want to go in. And the mom says, oh, just don't do it. Don't put him in there. I'm just going to snuggle him. And the dad says, no, give me that child. I'm going to hold him in that ice bath until that fever yeah. goes down while the child screams. The child's in pain. The child's in discomfort. And then she yeah. asks the question, which of those parents is being more loving? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's I, I, a great point. And I think that there, and we, we've discussed this to an extent on the podcast before where, you know, that sometimes, you know, the, the, the moms are good at some things and dads are good at other things. And, and maybe this is a good example of, of that division there. Um, but, you know, what, what really strikes me about this is, is that, you know, we, humans have sort of had this going on for a long time, right? Probably, you know, before, before Christianity and all of that sort of thing. And I think what, what it really, and maybe we'll wrap on this, but it, it really brings me back to this idea that if, if somebody has this objection to, you know, sacrifice and suffering and they don't want to hear anything about, um, you know, maybe the, the theological stuff, 
Maybe they just want sort of a purely natural description of how this makes sense. And I, th I, I think back to, um, uh, you know, the, these natural virtues, I think that's the phrase, right? That, that they come to us from Aristotle and stuff like that. And so, you know, there, someone else came to these same, to similar conclusions long before, you know, Aquinas and, and uh, you know, Christianity. And, and, and it, I, was, I was recently at a conference um, and we had a, it was an economics type conference, but we had um, the, the last speaker was a philosopher and he was talking about um, the, uh, these, these natural virtues or uh, I can't remember the phrase, but, and he, he was, he was mentioning that, you know, that suffering that Aristotle told us, you know, uh, that suffering is a good thing because it builds character. Right. And so now we can say certainly that, you know, maybe this, uh, you know, this, this notion wasn't completely, uh, didn't completely make sense without Christianity and without the Logos and all of this. But, um, but that at least, you know, there was an understanding that character building character is good. And I remember one of the people in the audience just had the worst reaction to this possible. And, and she's like, you know, so are you saying that people who are, you know, wealthy and who have things easy, that, you know, there's something missing, like that they're not, they're incomplete as human beings, you know, and, and the guy up there at the front is, is very brave. And he's like, well, yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, if, if we were in this like sort of, uh, you know, weak modern culture, we would, I think we would understand that so much better. Uh, and, um, and there's just so many things I can think of, like, you know, uh, people say, I don't have time. It's like, no, you have priorities and maybe you need to reprioritize. Maybe you need to make a sacrifice. Um, and I just, I, I think it's great that, that we can, we can sort of understand these as sort of natural things that even, even pagans were able to understand, uh, you know, hundreds of years before Christ, but um, but that we can come to a better understanding of that. And it makes sense, even just, even just our reason, it makes sense that as a Catholic, you know, as someone who's concerned about, you know, a traditional way of living, that, that we can actually make sense of all this together. And so I, I love that that's, that's what you're, you're, I think that's what you're bringing to this uh, is, is sort of that, that cohesion. Well, we made a number of points there just to kind of bring it full circle. I think, I think you're hitting on something important and, Notice, you know, I wouldn't say what you just said. I'm not going to say that to somebody who has cancer or just had a terrible <laughs> diagnosis going through something. You don't say, oh, like, because there was a famous, uh, this is a famous, the soul-making theodicy character building. John Hick was a theologian who made it famous. And people would like make fun of him. They're like, oh, so Hick, you're just saying, oh, yeah, give me some cancer to like toughen me up. That's what you're saying. <laughs> and they would like make fun of him like that. But that's where it comes into, you got to understand who you're dealing with. You talk about the intellectual puzzle or the pastoral and emotional problem, because what I think you're saying is very right. And we have to see, you know, there's famous, um, I think it was Tertullian who said like, what does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? And they were saying like how the, you know, all the Greek thought was disconnected to what came along with, with Christianity. And, and St. Thomas Aquinas says, no, he integrated Aristotle's thought. What you're talking about is the acquired virtues. Okay. okay. How, can, right. how can virtues be acquired except through a variety of experiences, some of which are challenging, some of which are annoying because we fail and we falter. And, but you actually can improve Okay. And in, in our, in Christians, we have the fuller understanding. That's why priests in college used to say, say Catholic, we understand it as the universal church. 
But we also understand that word Catholic in the sense of the fullness of the truth. And in our worldview, we have that integration of not just Aristotle's acquired virtues, but God infusing his virtue into us. And we cooperate with grace in those moments of suffering. He can actually make us better, make us holier, make us into saints. And although I, I suck at it all the time, that's what I want to be. That's right. what we want to be. <laughs> he can build us up. He can make us better. And uh, I think those are some great thoughts there, Levi. Well, hey, John, I appreciate you coming on and, and hopefully uh, maybe we'll have, maybe we'll find another uh, way to bring your, your insights and your wisdom on uh, apologetics uh, into another uh, subject uh, later on. Awesome. Well, can I just say the PDF real quick? I'm sorry oh, to yeah. interrupt. There. Well, yeah. I'm going to link to it, but yeah, yeah. Great. If, if you want it. So I got a P what we're going through is like, I made a 10 point PDF on how to answer the problem of evil and suffering. You get it at classicaltheism.com slash talking points. So if you're interested or thank you for linking to it, I much appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. All right. Well, thanks, John. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the trad dads podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and consider giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps us out.